Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. My name is Ellis Williams. We're recording this on a Monday from our downtown Cleveland location. As always, I'm joined by fellow beat writers Dan Lobby and Mary Kay Cabot. My friends, how you two doing? Doing well. Special Christmas edition, holiday edition of the of the podcast. Doing great today. Looking forward to a, a great Christmas Eve and, and Christmas and then getting back right at it and going to Cincinnati. No doubt about that, Dan. You said it yourself. We got a special Christmas edition here. And with that being said, we decided it'd be fun to hand control of this podcast over to our Football Insider subscribers. So this entire show... We'll be taking questions from you guys that you've submitted from Sunday and today. So before we get into that, Mary Kay, can you tell us how people can get signed up for Football Insider? Well, the first thing that you need to do is log on to cleveland.com slash browns. And there at the top, you will see a banner. Click on the banner to sign up. And what will you get for that? For $3.99 per month, uh, you will get... A special piece of content from us each day. That's Ellis, Scott Pasco, me, Dan. Uh, each of us will give you some exclusive piece of an analysis, opinion, news, or something there that you won't find anywhere else on our site. Now, in addition to that, we will send texts to your phone every day. Uh, basically, we'll break some news on there. We'll answer some of your questions and give you, again, Thoughts, opinion, and analysis on the news of the day. We think you'll love it. Give us a try. There you go. As simple as that. So without further ado, we're going to jump right into our questions. This first one coming from the 330 asking, do you think Freddie needed this year to learn? Also, I can see him giving up some play calling duties, especially if Dorsey, John Dorsey, general manager, demands it. Your thoughts. I want him to stay. We don't need an NFL retread. So... Before we jump into that, just to rehash, the Browns, of course, lose on Sunday, 31-15 to the Ravens. You know, questions about Kitchen's future started after the Arizona debacle, but now, you know, we're, we're in full-fledged mode here. Is Freddie coming back or not after another disappointing performance? So as this insider is asking, what are your thoughts if this was a year Freddie needed to learn? Or do you anticipate a change being made? Even if, say, Freddie wants to give a play calling duties, whatever, whatever. Is this a year he needed, or do we think he's headed out the door? Well, you know, you really can't bring an Odell Beckham Jr. onto the team, a Sheldon Richardson, Olivier Vernon, Kareem Hunt, all of these guys, and then throw a coach at it that really has an enormous 
learning curve in his first year. You can't do that. I mean, I remember back to, uh, I can't remember what game it was. You guys probably remember uh, where Freddie was talking about being down uh, in the red zone and just saying, well, you know, this is new to me. I haven't seen this before. <laughs> you know, you can't have that. Uh, they, you know, they were horrible in so many offensive categories this season. And I don't know that they can come back and try to do this again, especially considering that Baker Mayfield has really regressed. And I just think that they've got to grab the bull by the horns right now and get that young man turned around and get this offense going in the right direction, or this has the potential to slip away from the Browns. I think there's, there's a couple things. First of all, the Baker Mayfield element is really important because we've talked about this. It's year three. He's going to be 25 years old. Everything has to be lined up for him to, to make the leap we thought he was going to make this year in, in year two. But also, you've got to look at what has Freddie learned this year. I mean, do you really feel like he's grown a ton as a head coach from game one to game 15 now? And, and this isn't a guy, I know he wasn't a coordinator for very long, but this guy's been in the league for a long time. I mean, he worked on a staff with Bill Parcells. So he's been around, he's been in the league, he's been around offenses, he's been on the offensive side of the ball, I believe, his whole career, uh, so it's not like this guy's bounced back and forth, it's just, at some point, he's got to show some real growth, and, and I don't know if we've really seen a lot of growth from him from game one to game 15 this year, and, and that's really where the concern comes in, and if you take that risk, you might be right back to where you were last season, where you're halfway through the year, and you're doing a coaching search in the middle of the season again. And and not only that, not only have we not really seen the growth that you would expect to see, but in the 15th game of the season, he completely botched the first half of the football game right. in a way that everyone watching and everyone in the stands would know that you wouldn't call it like this. You just would never do that. Not when it, with an offense like the Baltimore Ravens, who only need a small bit of time to go down and score the football again. I mean, can you even still believe the way that that happened? Yeah, yeah. So to rehash that, uh, the Browns' defense is, is playing pretty solid mm -hmm. to start this, this Ravens game. I think the first four possessions, uh, Ravens, you know, turnover on downs, right. a fumble. Their offense just was not going. Um, Cleveland gets the ball back near their own 30 or so um, with about – 90 seconds to play mm -hmm. and the Ravens have no timeouts right uh Kitchens decides to call three straight pass plays which all are incomplete mm -hmm. and hands the ball back to the Ravens uh with about a minute 32 and the Ravens go down and score twice mm -hmm. in 90 seconds so and essentially that was where the game fell off so mm -hmm. again this is a question of Baker Mayfield's regression of course but that is a great point there Mary Kay about Sure, it's one thing if you you know how to teach a young quarterback and develop an offense, mm -hmm. but if you're simply not ready for in-game clock management and the things that head coaches take years to develop and take pride in, then clearly you're not fit for this job because, he, I mean, Freddie said it today, that that was one area where he wished he could go back and have a mulligan. And in the NFL, as an NFL head coach, you don't get do-overs. You made your decision and essentially knocked yourself out of the game right there because not only did they score twice, the Ravens got the ball first in the third quarter and went down and scored right away there. Right. And, of course, it began with that very questionable third and one call right. that led to their first touchdown. They had two in the final 118. Uh, and 
that was a halfback option by Kareem Hunt that lost eight yards and it got blown up. And when you have a Nick Chubb and a Kareem Hunt and Baker Mayfield, I mean, you just need one yard down there, right? And if you don't make it, you know, whatever, maybe he actually said he would have tried to go for yeah. it on fourth down, which is crazy too. Um, so all, all of those things, you put all of those things into the hopper and it just doesn't come up, hey, let's go do this again. It just doesn't. So somehow uh, the offensive process is going to change for next year, whether they fire Freddie, whether they bring in a brand new offensive coordinator and think they can keep him. I don't know. But the offensive process is going to change. And here's something uh, that I, I wonder if you guys picked up on over Baker Mayfield's last two interviews. He has made the point in his last in his previous two interviews that basically they really weren't ready for OTAs. They did not hit the ground running in OTAs. They wasted reps. They wasted time. They did not have their act together. They didn't have their mojo heading into OTAs so that they knew what the offense exactly was. They knew what their identity was. They knew what plays they wanted to run. And they worked on them and repped them over and over and over again. And so that by the time they got to training camp, they were basically just practicing for the opener. No, that's not how it worked. OTAs were sort of like, hey, Let's figure this out as we go along. And I think Freddie wanted to be collaborative, and that's fine. But that all has to take place well before you take the field and start practicing in OTAs. And I think Baker's been trying to get that point across. And, and I think another concerning thing is I don't think Freddie has ever just kind of embraced what this football team needs to be to win. And that is a team that's focused on, and, we're, and we'll get into this probably a little bit later, but the reality is if you're trying to win football games with this team right now, it's based around Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Those are your two, you know, Odell Beckham is probably your best offensive player, but those are your two players playing best right now. And so you've got to build your offense around them and adjust your offense around them. And, you know, maybe that's not great. If you're an offensive coordinator, you want to sling the ball around and be a modern offense and uh, throw a ton, but you got to play to your strengths. And I don't think Freddie has done that enough. And I think that third and one sort of summed that up. You've got a third and one and, he said he wanted to go for it on fourth down. So, you know what? Hand the ball off to Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt and, and let them get that yard for you. He talked about getting the clock started. He threw the ball to get the clock started. <laughs> Hand the ball off to, you know, two. You've got two. I've, I've said this over and over again. At worst, two top 10 backs, maybe two top five running backs. And I feel like he's never fully embraced that you know, having those two guys and, and having them as weapons in the running game. And it just seems like he's zigging when you're supposed to zag, right? I mean, you know, being down in the red zone, throwing it a bunch when when a run is called for uh, or vice versa, not running in certain situations and just passing like crazy. What game was it again where they ran the ball where Kareem and Nick was at in – in Arizona, where Kareem and Nick ran for a total of six times in the first half. That was Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Against, against Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Yeah. That's yeah. right. First time. Against Cincinnati. Uh, against the worst run yep. defense in the NFL. I mean, it just, there are things that just don't make sense. And I, I just can't see uh, that anybody would be really excited about heading into the 2020 season with Freddie calling the plays again. It's not even that he zigs when he's supposed to zag. It's, it's that he zags before he has to, yeah. right? Like he comes into these games and is like, well, I know they're going to take this away, so we're going to do this instead of saying, let's just see what happened. You know, hey, 
let's see if Nick Chubb can get going against the worst run defense in the league, even if they're expecting us to run the football. And he just doesn't do things like that. There's not a lot of identity on this offense. And, you know, I've talked to enough people uh, surrounding this situation uh, that that have described what I wrote in that uh, in that one column about this being a dysfunctional offense and the way that it operates that I, I just don't feel good about it. I don't feel good about it going forward. And I think there needs to be wholesale changes. Yeah. So let's peel this back a little further. Uh, our next question coming in the 513 asks, how much of this goes on quarterback coach Ryan Lindley? It feels as if having an inexperienced QB coach may not have been a great move either. Oh, look, Freddie Kitchens is good at sitting at the podium uh, saying, you know, he's the one calling the plays and admitting at times he needs to be better. But you build a staff for a reason. When you review Ryan Lindley's job this year how do you think he's done or is it as simple as look at baker mayfield's stats clearly he wasn't the right guy for this job well as far as the offense offensive staff was was put together it really wasn't put together correctly it it just wasn't i mean you take freddie an inexperienced play caller and head coach which is a lot for for a first year guy that has never been a head coach at any level, or a coordinator either, okay? Never run the meetings, never been a coordinator at any level until last year when he was the interim offensive coordinator, okay? So already you're putting him behind the eight ball. Then you give Baker Mayfield an inexperienced quarterbacks coach. Now, if you like Ryan Lindley, you brought him in from Arizona, you're Freddie Kitchens, you want him to be on your staff, make him quality control, assistant to the head coach, something like that. You've got to have a very experienced quarterbacks coach for Baker Mayfield, somebody that really can break it down and work on his mechanics and get things rolling and be what Freddie couldn't be to him this year because he's calling the plays and he's the head coach. Ryan Lindley was, you know, maybe he's going to be a great head coach someday or a great quarterbacks coach someday, but he's in his first year on that job. And that that is not what Freddie needed. It's not what Baker needed. Then you bring in an offensive coordinator who's got a completely different yeah, philosophy yeah. from from you. And even though he's more experienced at calling plays than you are, you're going to sit him upstairs, and he's not going to call the plays. And that there's just a complete disconnect there. So that's not happening again next year. That is not. It's not going to transpire where he's upstairs not calling the plays and Freddie is down on the field calling plays. Somehow this is all going to be changed up. I think the whole upstairs thing is interesting too, because I've been, I've, you know, I've spent a lot of time watching that Brown sideline uh, over the last couple months. And when Baker goes to the bench, you know, it's him and Garrett Gilbert and Ryan Lindley, and they've got the the tablet. I'm sure Todd Munkin is on the phone or on the headset, whatever, uh, you know, working with those guys. But I, I, you almost wonder if it would be more beneficial to have another coach down there, like your offensive coordinator, to go over and sit with Baker Mayfield and walk him, you know, coach him up in between series. Uh, you know, we've we've seen coaches do this, and Freddie Kitchens can't do that now because he's the head coach, so he's got to pay attention to the defense. He's got a challenge. He's got to watch the clock. So he can't go over there and coach Baker Mayfield between plays or, or between series, I should say. And And I just... You know, when I watch that sideline, I just don't see a ton happening between series. You know, Baker sits there with Garrett Gilbert and Lindley and the tablet. 
and everybody's kind of separated. And then I watched the Ravens sideline yesterday. They aren't scoring. They aren't moving the ball. They're losing 6 nothing. And I see Lamar Jackson going down the bench, giving everybody on his offense a high five or patting him on the helmet or whatever. I just, I'm not seeing the, the things happening on the sideline that you want to see in a, a healthy sort of, hey, we're going to make some adjustments and we're going to get better type of environment. And the other thing that I think um, or that I actually have heard and that I know that is going on, uh, the quarterbacks sort of have a little bit too much say or a little bit too much authority or power okay. over over what's going on yeah. offensively. Okay, You need a really strong person. There are a lot of strong personalities on this football team, especially on the offensive side yep. of the ball. And you really need a very, very strong leader. Now, once again... Is Todd Munkin going to be the person that's controlling some of your stronger personalities like Jarvis, who wears his emotions on his sleeve, and Odell, who wears his emotions on his sleeve during the game? No, he's upstairs uh, trying to manage the thing. And then you've got the quarterbacks and Ryan Lindley, Drew Stanton included. I yeah, mean, I should the, mention Drew Stanton sits with right, them too. These, yep. guys, these guys have a lot of say in what's going on offensively, and it shouldn't be that way. It should be the offensive coordinator and the play caller that has supreme reign over this thing and control over it. And they are going to, for the most part, tell the quarterbacks what the game plan is, what, what the vibe is, what's going on with input, of course, but it's a little bit backwards the way this is being run. And, and this really needs to change. Yeah. Clearly this season has been an indictment on the offensive coaching staff. Sounds like there's just, too many cooks in the kitchen right now and we're seeing a, a muddled product because of it which makes our next subscriber ask do you remember before the season when one of the former assistant coaches who was let go was quoted as saying that last year's success was more due to ken zampezi at the time it was dismissed as a disgruntled former employee why hasn't that story been revisited so let's revisit it you know i didn't get here until week two this was a preseason story. So take me back to then, and now that we've had a full season to look at it, what do you think of that now? Well, well can I can I set this up? Because, yeah. Mary Kay, you've done a lot of work on this, but I just want yeah. to set this up right. with going to kind of what you were saying. You know, back when this happened and this came out, mm -hmm. people did not want to hear this. Okay. They were not interested in hearing this. They felt really good about this team. They felt really good about this coach. You know, they're... 10 wins, 11 wins, 12 wins. This guy, you know, Bob Wiley is nuts. You know, he's just looking for attention. Turns out that maybe there, there was some legitimacy to, to all of this. Yeah, and I did actually address this in one of my uh, Hey MKs over the weekend, which, oh, come to think of it, I think I forgot to tweet those out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I did address the fact that uh, they overestimated what happened in the last eight games of last season, the Browns did. They overestimated those five victories, and they underestimated the value and the worth and the experience of the assistant coaches who were help helping to scheme it up last year. So it was a combination of those two things, some really bad defenses and some really good assistant coaches that if you look at Baker's footwork and you see that it's off, uh, you've got people that can help him, that can help coach him out of that. And it wasn't just Ken Zampezi, but he was the one that was coaching Baker. Uh, but each of those guys had a very specific role. You had, you know, Al Saunders working the red zone, very, very experienced, former head coach, former offensive coordinator of the greatest show on turf, 
designing the red zone, okay? And handing that over to Freddie Kitchens and saying, here are your red zone plays for this week, yeah. okay? That's important. Yep. Uh, you and we've had, seen how the red zone completely right. changed this year. You had Bob Wiley uh, drawing up, uh, you know, the, the protection schemes and the run, running plays. Uh, you had Greg Seaman, I think it was, working on third down. I have this all written down somewhere. Yeah. Um, but, but these guys each had a very specific job that they were doing, and uh, they laid it all out for Freddie Kitchens, and they had tremendous teamwork. They, they, without Todd Haley, without the dissension in the building, these guys all pulled together. And did some tremendous work in the last half of last season. They really did. They did some really great work, and and then and you know and then they were gone. And so it was a whole new process. And I think you know Freddie Kitchens. Uh, you know you remember last year he talked about you know he was going to be all about collaboration. It wasn't going to be my way or the highway. Well, he went way overboard in that. He went way overboard. You have to have a very firm leader that knows what he wants, knows what he wants the game to look like knows what he wants the play sheet to look like and and can handle all of the personalities involved and it just it just didn't go well yeah so it, uh, let me just correct me if i'm wrong here but it sounds like where freddie kitchens fell short was not that you know this is a one man band and he's calling all the shots but that he failed at duplicating a process like last year at having a clean and more organized approach of delegating certain offensive duties. Cause it sounds like he, he wanted to listen to everyone, but then in that echo chamber of noise, there was no clear direction at where this offense was going. Is that a sim simple breakdown of it? You know, I mean, that's what it seems like. Yeah, that's yeah. what it seems like to me. I mean, and maybe everybody this year also has their defined responsibilities, right. but for, for whatever reason, it's, it's not the well-oiled machine it was in the second half of last season. And again, having said that, they played far tougher defenses most of the time this sure. year than they did in the last half of last year. But still, even when they're playing bad defenses this year, they're struggling against the bad defenses. Yep. And so that's the thing that is the, the larger concern. And it's also, it's different when you come on the scene as an offensive coordinator. You've never been an offensive coordinator. There's no tendencies. There's no, there's nothing for anyone to look back on and say, this is how this guy calls a game. This is what he's trying to do. It's a lot different when that defensive coordinator is sitting in that room all week and he knows every single thing you're going to do. And he knows every tendency you have. He's staring at every motion you put in and says, you know what? I don't care about this. I'm going to ignore it. Whereas last year, it might have been, I've never seen this before. I don't know what this guy does with this stuff. Well, now he knows. I mean, look at, you know, L.A. this year. Yeah. Sean McVay came into this year as the offensive guru, and defenses adjusted and took things away, and then he had to kind of adjust yes. as well. So, you know, it happens to everybody, but with, with Freddie, it just, it was such a steep drop-off, and, and it really makes, again, what Bob Wiley was saying, stand out even more that, how supported he was through that process. And it seems like they underestimated exactly what it was going to take to improve upon what they did last year. I mean, when you, uh, all week I, I talked, um, you know, to John Harbaugh and investigated, just looked into what Greg Roman did and what Lamar Jackson did, everything that they did to get better and to realize that in order to win the AFC North, especially with all the talent that the Browns added, they knew that they were going to have to be really amazing. And they supported, they really 
supported as an organization, Lamar Jackson did everything that they possibly could from play calling, from uh, promoting Greg Roman to offensive coordinator, uh, to to devising game plans. And then Lamar Jackson did his part. I mean, he he went gangbusters in the offseason to get better and to to hone his craft and to do everything he possibly could. I mean, Baker Mayfield probably did do too many commercials and too many off the field things instead of really, you know, he got married. I mean, we're not going to begrudge him that, um, but <laughs> Still, that takes up time, but that's, you know, that, that's, I mean, it does. I mean, you've got, you know, you've got weeks leading up to it. You've got the honeymoon. You've got, I mean, yeah, but if you're going to do that, then every other thing has got to be right. geared towards getting better at your craft. And there were just so many things that went wrong. In, in every way with this offense. Yeah, that that is clear now as we're looking at a six and eight team going into a week seventeen that doesn't week seventeen that no longer has any real importance. Uh, Dan, you said it. You know, this league humbles you whether you're Sean McVay <laughs> or Freddie Kitchens, and that's really what happened to both of them this year. Though uh, the res- resumes going into this season were a bit different, which of course makes yep. things the realities of each situation vastly different all right listeners we're going to take a quick break uh so don't go anywhere we're going to come right back with a few more questions from football insider stay tuned hello and welcome back to the orange and brown talk podcast my name's ellis williams recording this on a monday i'm joined as always by beat writers dan lobby and mary Kay cabot we're going to get right back into your insider questions so we're not going to waste any time this next one regarding cream hunt comes from the 419 this subscriber asks, will the Browns resign Kareem Hunt? Do you think it could be for a long-term contract? He's a restricted free agent, so the Browns can match his offers. Do you think he'll get a lot of offers, and what should the Browns do with him? When you guys hear that, what are your thoughts? I think they'll try to resign Kareem Hunt. Now, I don't know if they will you know, wait and tender him and see if anybody gives him an offer and let the market sort of set the price and then they have the right of first refusal after that. So I'm not sure exactly what the strategy is going to be, but I know they want him back. They really like everything that they've seen of him on and off the field, and he's done everything he can, anger management, uh, just working really hard. I, I get great reports about him from inside the building, and I think that they really would like to have him back, whether they extend him to a long-term contract right away or whether they tender him. I, yeah, I mean, I think there's no reason to not bring him back. I, I think I, I talked about it earlier. I'm I'm building my offense around Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, and I'm using that to support Baker Mayfield going into year three and, and kind of going from there. And the other thing is, as far as whether they'll get a lot of offers or whatever, I, I still think that's a tough sell for a lot of teams, even if they really like what he's done and, and they've, they've heard all these great things about him and, and he's put everything behind him. There's, I think there's just a lot of teams that that's a non-starter and, and they're not going to bother. They're, you know, A, he's a running back. B, he's, there's that baggage. And I just don't think they want to have to stand in front of their fan base and say, well, you know, we're, we're going to try and justify this signing. So I think that, I think there will be some teams interested. I think there were teams interested before the Browns signed him. But I don't think he's going to get just offer after offer after offer because I think there's still that baggage there. Yeah, to me, I think the Kareem Hunt situation is one of the more fascinating things surrounding the NFL offseason right now. You know, not just for the Browns as, as the league in general. Uh, you know, the, the the league tends to be trendy, and though the Browns' offense wasn't a success, you can say that when Kareem Hunt rejoined the team and Freddie Kitchens installed 
Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in the backfield, the offense completely changed and it changed for the better. I could see coordinators, you know, smart people getting in a room and breaking down this Browns tape and seeing what Kitchens did well and then thinking, oh, wow, we could do that and even more featuring two running backs like this. Now, look, not everyone has a Nick Chubb to compliment Kareem Hunt, but I wouldn't be surprised if more teams start playing two running backs at the same time rather than that third slot receiver that really only you know New England still has mastered and whatnot. We've seen the Browns have so much success in using two running backs like that. You know, you think of, I don't know, the Dallas Cowboys. You know, they just were played for the NFC East, so they're, they're on my mind right now. But, you know, they feature Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. Would they be a little better uh, featuring both those backs or bringing in a, gr- a guy like Kareem Hunt? You know, Jerry Jones isn't afraid to make splash signings like that. So I think there's going to be – there's definitely going to be a market for Hunt, I feel like, just based off how he's played on the field. And though his stats aren't eye-popping, I mean, he passes every eye test you see. When that guy gets the ball, he looks the part. He's electric. He's lead blocking. He's running over defenders. The, the guy is one of the most talented football players and running backs in the league. What's going to be interesting is the dollar amount. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have it in front of me right now. I, Jarek McKinnon signed with the 49ers a couple of years ago for like Four years, thirty million. He's the fifth, high, sixth highest paid running back right now, and he's—I don't even know if he's p- played a snap for the Niners. I'm thinking about it with his injuries. Um, so the running back market's always interesting, like that. And if the Browns can find a, a safe number, then of course you bring Cream Hunt back. I'm just wondering if there is going to be a team out there willing to take a risk on a guy like Cream Hunt, knowing you probably only have to pay him one more time with the way running back contracts work, and they could be sitting on maybe a, a, a secret gem here. I mean, do you guys worry that another team is going to find, because it only takes one team to see real value there and the Browns just won't be able to afford them. It, it, what if I had to put the the possibility of that happening at like 60% chance he's back next year. Are we talking over or under that? I think over. I mean, okay. I, I think that whatever someone else is willing to pay him, the Browns will be able to afford to pay him that. Okay. I think he's very important to them. I think they see his value and his worth. He's John Dorsey's guy. I think Kareem Hunt wants to be here. Uh, this is his hometown. Uh, the other thing about Kareem Hunt, the reason why his value is higher than most regular running backs is because he's so valuable in the passing game. Yeah. He's not just a running back. And therefore... Uh, you know, you don't pay him like just a running back. So I, I don't think it's a huge issue. I think someone might throw some money at it, uh, but I don't see it being a problem for the Browns to ex- exercise their right of first refusal. Yep. And the Browns have a lot of money to spend. Mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield is still cheap. Miles Garrett is still relatively cheap. Denzel Ward is still cheap. Uh, so they, they've got the money to spend. And again, it, I think it just comes down to you're right. It, it doesn't just take one, but it's still a really difficult sell to a fan base. And there are some teams that are, it's just going to be off the table. The Baltimore Ravens are not going to make an offer to cream Hunt. Right. period. End of story. Right. They have been very strong about that. Their ownership has been very strong about, you know, players with a background like hunts. And there are other organizations like that as well. So that sort of shrinks the market a little bit. And for hunt, he's, he's maybe the one guy who, would turn down a little money for the situation that he's in because he understands where he is, how important it is to be where he is and, and how it's kind of helped him move past uh, what happened at the nine that night. Go ahead, Mark. And I will be, if I can stay awake tonight, 
writing a feature story. Well, now you have to stay awake. <laughs> now I have to. You've guaranteed it to the people. Writing a feature story about Kareem Hunt, I got him to open up a little bit about just uh, how things have changed from last Christmas when he was out of football to this Christmas. So, uh, you know, it's it's in part sort of a Christmas story. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of turning your life around uh, and trying to become a good person when the whole world thinks you're not one. So, um, again, my my plan is to try to write that tonight, have it up tomorrow. Hope I can pull it off. Mary Kay, <laughs> we believe in you. <laughs> you got this. It's going to power through it like we talked about. And yep. we'll have a beautiful story to read Tuesday morning and in through the holidays, you know. I mean, you yes, get, gifts get open. You got nothing to do. Pop up the laptop and check out a, a nice feature on Kareem Hunt. Uh, so, it, again, it sounds like Kareem Hunt is a, a priority of the Browns. It, I, it'd be strange to, again, reimagine what this offense would look like without him after the, the, the positive impact he's made. So we'll have to wait and see, of course, but it, it feels like Cream Hunt and the Browns, it's just a marriage that makes sense. For our next question, this subscriber wants us to discuss a little special teams. From the 310 asking, any chance the Browns will name special teams coordinator Mike Prefer head coach? That would maintain some continuity, yet at the same time, stage for a redo of the offense. Mike has been impressive. What are your thoughts? Well, he tossed his hat into the ring last week uh, (laughs) when we got him going on that. Uh, He absolutely said he aspires to be a head coach, and he would love to be one. He cited John Harbaugh as coming up through the special teams ranks. And uh, the more I think about the, the qualities that are necessary for a head coach, it's being a leader of men, being organized, getting people to run through a wall for you, being able to hire a really good staff to manage the staff. Uh, and then it's much more than that. It's being able in this day and age to handle all the media responsibilities, to handle all of the social media that goes on. And, you know, I look at, at the Ravens and John Harbaugh and to think that at this time last year, you know, there was talk that he was not going to be back. Right. That's and think about. he is such an, an incredibly good football coach and a good leader of men. And he just handles almost every single situation. I mean, do you ever, I mean, do you, do you hear about all the, you know, dysfunction and all this stuff coming out of Baltimore all the time? I mean, you just really don't. They have established a culture. It starts up top. Ozzie Newsom fostered it. John Harbaugh. I mean, there's a reason why they're 13 and two right now. And, you know, when I look at at someone like a Mike Prefer, I think he will get an interview with the Cleveland Browns. John Dorsey loves him for starters. And he has, uh, you know, coming out of the Naval Academy and and having the background, the strict military background that he has. He's from Cleveland. He's got a lot of things that you would want your head coach of the Cleveland Browns to have. So I think he will get an interview and it will just would just be a matter of, you know, how does he sell himself in that interview, knowing that he would have to have a really strong offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator? Yeah, and, you know, we know this organization can't resist a good, hey, this guy's from Cleveland story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, f- I would like this team to go to more of a, a CEO route if they do make a coaching change, not just hire a guy because he's a great offensive coordinator, because he's a great defensive coordinator, hire a guy that's going to come in and oversee everything and put the right people in place, make sure everything runs on time. And, and I think Mike Prefer checks a lot of those boxes. So he certainly should get an interview. 
Again, we talk about baggage. There's a little bit of baggage there with with Mike Prefer. Uh, he's served his suspension for the comments he made. I don't remember when it happened, uh, but he was suspended. He has answered for it in Minnesota. He answered for it here. So maybe it's a little bit of a smoother transition for him into head coach uh, with, with that in his background because he's had to answer for it here already. I'd give him an interview. But the one thing I think we have to learn from the whole Freddie Kitchens thing is we all kind of looked at Freddie Kitchens and said, yeah, I think this could work. I I mean, I know I did because I thought he did a nice job as an offensive coordinator and it seemed to make sense. It seemed like there was some good stability there. It shouldn't just be interview Mike Prefer and hire him. It it needs to be part of the process. And if he shows he's the best candidate, then okay, give him the job. The interesting thing about a coaching search this year, of course, if there is one, is the fact that uh, the last time around, last year, John Dorsey ran the whole thing. And from what we understand, it wasn't unanimous in terms of hiring Freddie Kitchens. Some people in the front office really did want Kevin Stefanski, and it came down to those two guys, and it got a little heated in the end. Uh, Now, as they head into what could be another coaching search, who is going to run the show? Who is going to have (laughs) final say over that? Will it be more collaborative? Will they let John Dorsey try to get it right if he got it wrong this time? Uh, there are a lot of things to consider. And it's, you know, it's funny. This, this is always one of those funny things we say, but I do think it matters. Mike Prefer sounds like a head coach when we talk to him every Thursday. Uh, you know, I think Steve Wilk sounds like a head coach when we talk to him. And of course, he's been a head coach. It didn't work out for him. He was only there for a year, but he sounds like a head coach when he talks to us. And you, there's just certain guys. Not every coordinator is like this. You know, Todd Munkin, kind of the opposite. Now, maybe he's kind of trying to stay low key and and not say anything he shouldn't when he talks to us. I don't know, but certainly Mike Prefer, Steve Wilkes, these guys, when they sit up there and talk to us every Thursday, you kind of think, all right, that guy sounds like a head coach. And I was more to the job than that, but that's a part of it too, because you're the face of the franchise. I'll say this. What I find really impressive about considering a special teams coordinator for a head coaching position is what special teams coordinators have to deal with week in and week out. These rosters are not made and constructed by the GM to consider the special teams. Like, oh, hey, let's go sign this guy. He'll be a great gunner. You know, these special teams coordinators take whatever parts GMs and head coaches will give them, and they make the best of what they have. And Prefer's units tend to be at the top of the league, so he's shown that he consistently does that. And there's something to be able, something to being able to just figure out things on the fly get new guys in a room and be able to teach them your scheme and get them to perform to the best of their ability. The Brown special teams have been impressive this year. Clearly he's doing that. So look, is it perfect storm with Harbaugh and what he's doing right now? Of course, but that's what becoming an NFL NFL head coach is. I think uh, I forget where I hear it, but they say that NFL head coaches are um, elected, not selected. You You need that perfect storm. And we could be seeing that right now with Mike Prefer again, this job isn't even open yet, so we'll deal with that when we get there. Uh, we got one more quick question here. We're going to get out of here, though, soon because, you know, Mary Kay's got TV to do and a story to write. <laughs> and she's, she's just a star hustling out here. So one Probably more. Probably Christmas shopping left to Christmas. do. Uh, yes, definitely Christmas shopping Actually, left to do. Your kids are coming home soon. You've, you've, got a, you've got a full plate ahead of you. So just real quickly, this subscriber wants to know from the 216 asking, with the Bengals locking up the number one pick, by losing to the Dolphins last week and the Browns eliminating themselves from the playoffs by losing the Ravens, what does this team have to play for on Sunday? I'll start us off quickly. I think that there are a few things to follow. 
One thing I'll be watching is Odell Beckham's quest for a thousand yards receiving. He needs like 40 something yards right now to reach the century mark. Odell probably three weeks ago said that a thousand yards isn't even a question. It's it's his, his basement, his floor. And now there's a real possibility that a healthy Odell Beckham Jr. plays 16 games and will not reach that mark. It's a fascinating possibility. I can't say I'll be shocked if it happens just because I've been seeing this offense all year. But when we go back and look at the history books, and if you go on Pro Football Reference and see Odell Beckham Jr., 16 games played, 16 games started, and 992 receiving yards, that's going to make a lot of eyebrows raise. Uh, What do the Browns have to play for in your guys' eyes? Okay, well, there's two things I can say. The first, if I want to be really sports talk, hot takey, draft position. There you go. Maybe the Browns shouldn't win this game, but really, <laughs> that's not what I'm going to say. Uh, because the I'm going to say the opposite. The Browns won seven games last year. They're guaranteed to finish with a worse record this year because of that tie. Mm-hmm. But man, you'd really like to get to seven wins again and at least get back to that <laughs> to that number. And like, if John Dorsey's worth his salt, he's going to get a good draft pick. He's going to get somebody good in the first round whether he's picking, what, 10th or 16th or something. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure there's going to be some people out there who are saying, go lose this game because we want a better draft pick. I don't know. Get to seven wins. Six and 10 is really brutal. You don't want to finish six and 10 after the season you had. I mean, how can you take this roster and (laughs) do worse than last year? Oh, my goodness. And that, you know, that's happening. And it's really shocking when you think about it, especially uh, when they had opportunities against Duck Hodges and Brandon Allen and uh, some young, young quarterbacks that were making their first NFL start. So um, absolutely, uh, that is one thing to play for. Another thing to play for is Nick Chubb and the rushing title. He's already got over 1,400 yards. It's an opportunity for him uh, to end up as the NFL's leading rusher. I think that would be great for the Browns. Nick Chubb deserves it. It would give them something to feel good about as they walk out of this disappointing season. Uh, you know, again, it's. I asked him today, would you trade your Pro Bowl and, and a rushing title in for even just one playoff game? And he said he would do that in a heartbeat. Of course, we all know that Nick Chubb would say something like that. Um, but it's true, you know, none of this really means anything to any of these guys, and especially Nick Chubb, because he's so humble, he doesn't really care about individual accolades, but I still think it would be a little consolation prize in this dismal season. Yep, I couldn't agree more. So there you go, guys. We made a case for why you should tune in and still watch this Week 17 game, Browns-Bengals, even though there's really nothing to play for with, of course, number one pick and the Browns being eliminated. So, all right, everyone, that's all we got for you. Uh, we're going to get out of here, you know, the special holiday edition. So for myself, Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, and everyone at Cleveland.com, we want to wish you a happy and safe holiday. Thanks for listening, y'all.